Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Our boy's not feeling good today, so it's just Jordana today. No Adam part, but it's Jordana and Charlie. So Charlie Weiss is uh, at the helm, filling in for David as David travels. But uh, Adam, we wish you the best getting over your bellyache or your stuffy nose. We know how men are with a cold. Uh, Boy, uh, we'll talk about that later, men's colds. But yes, Adam, do feel better, love. Uh, Charlie, thank you for joining us this morning. And Charlie, being our resident millennial, he is our, our youngster of the group. Um, I have a human who is turning 18 tomorrow. Uh, that is officially, according to the United States of America and our tax code at least, an adult and, and the mm-hmm. military, an adult. He can be an adult. My question for you, dear listener, is 18 really an adult? While you're thinking about that, think of your own experience. Like at 18, did you move out and uh, get a car lease and, you know, uh, have a job and start paying your own bills? I'm curious about that. Is 18 really an adult? Um, and then, not that I'm not prepared. I am, I am prepared. But I want to know the best milestone present for your 18-year-old, female or male. Like if they got a big present on at 18. I don't know if we do this anymore, but certainly my parents were like, what does Maddox want? Because he's, he's 18. That's a big birthday. You know, the, the girls might get a piece of jewelry. Does Maddox want that? Does he want, you know, they kind of think of it as a big birthday. So it's sweet that they mark it with a, a bigger gift than, you know, a, a 50 or $100 check for his birthday. So um, I thought that was very sweet and generous. And I was curious to know what your milestone birthday gift is. Uh, as an 18-year-old, I don't remember necessarily getting a milestone birthday. I think at 21 I did, and maybe that coincided with my college graduation, uh, but I might have. I got birthstone earrings. I, I may have gotten that. But um, uh, we'll start with you. Uh, 651-461-9226. Is 18 an adult? How did you handle it? How did you have your kids handle it? And um, some thoughts on a, on a birthday gift. Uh, Charlie is. I know you're only a few years past 18, but uh, were you booted from the house at 18? I was not. I'm a few more than a few. I would say a few more than a few years past 18. Uh, I was not. No, I was not <laughs> booted from the house at 18. Okay. Um, like many do, I did. I went off to college, so you mm-hmm. know, I guess in a way. But I, I would come home in summer and live at home still. So yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I don't think age is an indicator of adulthood, right? Uh, I, I mean, everybody mm. is somewhat different. Uh, on on when they mature and and when they're there, but for so I, I guess the way I see it is that eighteen number is the average. That's when the average person maybe is ready to you know become their own person, ready to be okay, themselves um, for a first mm-hmm. time. Many are ready before that. Many, many, many are ready after that. Um, but that's kind of the beginning of that. Okay, I'm ready to to do something, and that's kind of what you have to do from a governmental perspective, right? Is you have to be yes. like, well, mm-hmm. we have to pick an age for some of these things. Yes. We can't go person by person. That's impossible, mm-hmm. even though that's of course the ideal. 
Um, so 18, 21 in certain circumstances for different things, alcohol, it, that's right around where I feel like that averages out. Fair. I, I mean, fair. I think at 18, um, I was certainly ready to get the hell out of my house and go to college. So that was, you know, I wanted a little more independence and freedom. So I definitely, again, maybe it's a societal structure. Maybe if we grew up in a society that says 14 is, is the age, maybe I would have felt ready at 14. Again, we are just, you know, I guess victims or members of a society that looks at it that way. Um, so yeah, I felt ready, uh, but I did come home in the summers, like you said, and I lived at home. It's not like I got my own apartment and was paying for stuff because I definitely was not. Um, but at 18, are you ready to make life decisions? And, you know, can you? I mean, that was a time where I, I was lucky enough where my parents sent me to college. So I had four more years to figure it all out mm -hmm. and learn some other skills. But I don't know that me, Jordana, with my uh, New Jersey public school education and no, you know, no, no shade on New Jersey. I just don't know that I was ready to start a family or get a job or make decisions in life at 18 and move out of my parents' house without a couple more years developing. Yeah. I mean, I'm 29 and I don't think I'm ready to make life decisions. Not, um, so, I'm 51 and I'm still. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know when that age comes. I don't know when when you're ready to make decisions and when you have to make decisions. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I, I don't know. No, I I clearly was not ready at 18 to make make certain big yeah. decisions. But uh, when are you? Uh, so when are you? Uh, yeah. Right. So it's not. Right. It, yeah, it's not the ideal. There is no ideal. <laughs> Some of the texters of say that, this. So. Uh, 18-year-olds think they're adults, but everyone older knows they're not. Right. I get it. Uh, there are 18-year-old strippers. Yes, there are. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that that is a life choice. Not saying it's the best one, but, you know, that's, that is a legal choice. Uh, what about brain development? I know. And what is the age for brain development? Do they say like 23? Do they say it's like 26 it's, it's, is what they generally it's 20, Right. Yeah. It's uh, even, for, oh God, we're going to find out that it's like 70 at some point, And I'm going to feel better about that. Uh, brain development. Yeah, I get it. And maybe we should um, follow the science more. But do you want your kids living with you until 26? Uh, I mean, you can claim them as dependents then until they're 26. That's a little tax break. But that's a... That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, someone said, uh, Jor, is he acting like an adult, self-sufficient, totally living off mom and dad? Um, if he has adult responsibilities, then he's an adult. And that's that's interesting. Yes, I agree. Because kids get jobs at 15. You know, they can drive here at 16. I mean, they some of them are very responsible. I personally, I'm not ready. I wouldn't be ready. Like if we lived in a society where there was like no college and they just like went off and had babies and families and got jobs. Come on. I want them around a little bit longer. I, you know, I, and I certainly wasn't ready at 18. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'll have to ask them when we have dinner if, if he's ready to move out. But um, hey, Jor, what about those uh, who's, who think kids are ready to vote at 16? That's interesting. You know, some kids are very politically aware and very socially aware at age 16. And I mean, really, do you think all of the people that vote are emotionally and mentally prepared <laughs> at 35? I'm going to tell you, <laughs> somebody that is actively in a high school civics class knows a heck of a lot yeah. more about civics yeah. than a majority of Americans. 
I think so too. I think so. I agree with you. They yeah. are, are, and and they're more open minded about it. They want to hear sort of like a, a both sides of a conflict. Uh, you know, why yeah. was this war started? How did this happen? What happened to the Native Americans? Why were there, um, you know, restrictions on voting in the fifties or sixties for Black folks yeah. in America? You know, they, they're they're curious well, about that. For and sure. you know, if you know these policies are going to affect them. In the next two years, and it's a four-year voting cycle for the presidency. I don't know. I, is it really that bad? If if it's really going to truly affect who these people are, people forget that politics is policy. Politics is what happens to us on a day-to-day basis. So, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal for sixteen-year-olds to vote. I agree. I agree. Hey, maybe you, maybe you take some kind of an aptitude test. You know, but in school, yeah, that gets back but, uh, to more more historical uh, yeah, negatives with uh, that's true, yeah, like some pol- kind of a segregation thing. Yeah. And, and those kind of a, things. Uh, OK, that's fair. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should lower the voting age to 16. Uh, Jor, why are you putting this on public schools? I'm not. It's a parent thing. Have you raised your kids to be ready? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Are, are your kids ready at 18? Some are, some aren't. It's not a public schools thing. It has nothing to do with our public schools. We have to parent. Um, this texter writes, Jordana, I have seven brothers and sisters. We grew up through the 60s. Um, upon 17, I graduated from high school. At that age, my single mother asked me, not told me, to move out if I can. I was the middle child. I, I want to hear the rest of that story. 6514619226. Did you move out at 17? And then you have seven brothers and sisters. Did they move out at 17? I kind of want to know the rest of that story. That's interesting. She asked you. She didn't tell you. So, okay, maybe you were still available to stay, which is very generous of her as a single mother with seven brothers and sisters. I'm the middle child, too, by the way. I'm sure my parents were very ready to get rid of me. Um, Hey, Jor, at 18, I was in boot camp in San Diego. That was 62 years ago today. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, Was I ready? I like to think I was, the texter says, but maybe not. See, I I think we forget what it's like at 18. Gosh, you're invincible. You know, you want to take on the world. You think you're going to live forever and you're immortal and you can do all the things. And that's a beautiful thing to feel at 18. You know, your whole life is ahead of you. Um, And I, I hope they feel ready. I guess if we've done our job, they feel ready. My mother used to say that, though. She said, because um, I remember saying when I was like excited to go back to college, and I would say, are you sad that we're leaving? She goes, no. If my children are ready to take the next step in life, you know, either go to college, get a job, move out of the house, she goes, then I've done my job as a parent. I've probably failed epically because I want them all to move back home. <laughs> I don't know if they want to, but I want them to come home. <laughs> but no, she did a good job. Pam, mom, good job, because we did uh, all move out and make our way in the world. Um, guys, this is a texter says, look at the people who you vote for. Are they adults? They're toddlers at best. (laughs) Fair enough, texter. Fair enough. Um, I also asked you, this was a double question. Are we adults at 18? And then curious, what's the milestone gift at 18? Yeah. What did I, you know, and Charlie, did you get one from your folks? Um, I didn't Do you really remember. Get, I I did not. Um, okay. I mean, you know, bonds are a thing that people give for oh, certain birthdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I I believe I got 
my grandfather gave all of the boys in the family uh, w- nice watches and all the girls okay. uh, necklaces. Mm-hmm. Or was it rings? Oh, One of the nice. two with their birthstones okay. on them. Um, so we had, you know, our little things here and there. I remember my dad, he still finds this very funny. He got a, he got a statue. Oh. He got uh, his, a boy and a dog. A rock statue. Oh. Stone statue of a oh. boy and a dog. That like a it. miniature version yeah. or like a statue on the No, lock? like like a foot and a half tall. <laughs> foot and a half probably, maybe two feet. Still sits on the fireplace today. I always okay. thought that was a oh, funny he gift. He still has it. He, he does. It was a great it. gift. You still have yeah. it, right? Uh, I love that. I love that story. Okay, chime in. I want to hear him. I got to take a break. Uh, 651-461-9226. Milestone gifts. Jump in next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Happy birthday. My son is turning 18 tomorrow, and it made me think about when I was 18 and if I was a grown-up. The government says we're grown-ups. They send us off to war. They, so many 18 young people died in, in Vietnam and our countless, countless wars. But um, is it really an adult? I know the government picks 18. That's it. You're, you're now a grown-up. Uh, you know, our tax code is written that way. Can't really claim them as dependents anymore, even if we're putting them through college. And um, that's it. They're grown-ups. But, but are they really? And because his birthday is tomorrow, don't worry. I've been thinking about fun presents for, for weeks now. Uh, is there a milestone present that I'm missing to give my son? Some people say watches or, um, you know, piece of jewelry, which I love. But is that what they want? They might want technology now, but uh, curious about that. Um, hey, Jor. If we believe in 18 is adult, oh, no, I'm not going to read this. This is about changing your gender. That's not part of the conversation, my friends. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this texture says, I graduated at 27, married at 18, helped put my husband through law school. Um, oh, mar- graduated 17. Sorry, married at 18. Yeah, helped put my husband through law school and had my first child at 19. It's been a great life. I get it. Thank you. Good job. Uh, Being in the military at 18, George, is different than living on your own because in the military, you still don't have a lot of freedoms. I get that. I get that. Hey, Jorah, at 18, I was managing a local A&W. I did that through my four years of college. Yeah. Again, if you could be a manager of a store, like that's a person. That's a job. You're a person. And you put yourself through college. So great job. Okay. Per gifts. And Charlie had some good ones. Maybe the statue of a man and a boy isn't a great one, but uh, but that statue still exists. You remember How many years later? You sure as heck remember. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, Jordana, my parents gave us all three girls a beautiful cultured pearl necklace on our 18th birthday. I still wear it for special occasions. Mary from Minnetonka. (gasps) Mary, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. And special gifts like that are very important. I know my parents gave me, um, you know, birthstone earrings. I'm a ruby because uh, I'm born in July. And I still wear those. I still wear those earrings. They're fantastic. Uh, guys, I graduated from high school at 17 years old and received luggage as a graduation present. Then I moved to Chicago with three friends and lived downtown and went to college at 17. Wow, that is being a grown-up, by the way. 
If you're 17 and you graduate from high school, your parents give you luggage, you pack it up, and then you move to Chicago and go to college there, good for you. You were, that's a full-on grown-up. Uh, Jordana, back in the day, I got a dictionary to take to college, as did all my peers. I still have it. It's collecting dust. Love my smartphone dictionary, though, LOL. Excellent. Um, this texter says, beginning at age 13, we were told, reminded, that at 18, you start paying rent or moved out. This texter joined the Marines at age 17. John in St. Paul. Okay. And, and if your parents are preparing you and saying, okay, look at 18, this is your deal. Start saving money, get a job. You know, at least they warned you, right? Didn't just boot you out. Jor, my gift at 18 was condoms. Okay. Need those? Uh, Jor, I got a tattoo. Well, that is what my oldest got herself. Oh, on the day she turned 18 against her parents' wishes, of course. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, we said at least wait a little bit. Okay. 18. I get it. I get it. Luggage. Someone said, buy a stripper. I'm not buying him a stripper. That is not going to happen. Although he did say that he wants to go to Mystic Lake because they can gamble. Oh, yeah. So, Charlie, someone said to me, hey, at least it's not a, oh, was it Adam? You know, Sheiks or, or one of the strip mm-hmm. clubs. I like that. Yes. So, Mis- but Mystic, Mystic Lake, Lake works. Uh-huh. That's, that's the yeah, spot. Mystic I mean, Lake there works. isn't, there's not great places for 18 to 20 yeah. year olds to go. Once you hit 21, yeah. you're good. You got bars, you got other things, but drink, 18 year olds. There's not really a spot for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll just wrap it up with this. I'm 57. I remember jewelry, watches, pens, and luggage as milestone gifts. And those are good gifts. And secretly, I did buy him a piece of jewelry. He's sleeping in the next room, so I don't want to, I don't want him to hear. Uh, Jor, my parents gave me the joy of cooking. I wore it out. I'm on my third copy now. What a great gift. Because if they haven't been watching you or like, I'm not a great cook, but I taught my kids what little I know. Uh, But yes, the joy of cooking. Start making your own meals. I love it. These are great suggestions. Thank you so much. I love them. Thank you for sharing that conversation with me. When we get back, we're going to check in with Itai Tannenbaum. Itai uh, is an Israeli. He lived here in Minnesota for a little while. He owns and runs a boutique tour company in Israel. He's a historian, has a podcast. We're going to check in with him to see what it's like on the ground in Israel. We'll talk about this humanitarian effort and anything else he wants to share. Itai Tannenbaum is next. Welcome back. I have many contacts that I am in touch with, um, conversations I am having every day after I get off the air with the conflict that is going on uh, between Israel and Hamas. And it consumes me. It does. And it's been a very challenging three weeks. Uh, Now it's morphed into anti-Semitism, you know, college protests on college campuses where our kids are not feeling safe, and we have lots of problems understanding terrorism here in this country and in other countries. And, and just this morning, I was listening to an update from Joe Lindsley. You guys remember Joe. He is our reporter on the ground in Ukraine. He's been there since the beginning of the pandemic. And he said on his podcast, he said, Ukraine is the only country that does not have pro-Hamas rallies. And he explained, and I will have him on to talk about this, he explained because moral clarity, I hear you, Charlie, no problem. Thank you. I, it, mo- he said, in Ukraine, there is moral clarity between good and evil. There is moral clarity between terrorists and regular people trying to defend themselves. And it was an interesting distinction. And I was glad he said it out loud. Uh, my next guest is currently in Israel. 
He is on the ground. His name is Itai Tannenbaum. Itai is an historian. He's got a podcast discussing current events in Israel called Inside Israel. Itai also owns and runs a boutique tour company in Israel. And he's joining us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Itai, thank you so much for the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Now, you spent time in Minnesota. Is that correct? Can you just briefly tell people why you were here? I was in Minnesota um, as an emissary that mainly educated about Israel and also advocated for Israel. Um, I have a tour business, as you mentioned, and I was in Minnesota during the time that years ago there were suicide bombers all over Israel. The tour business went out of business for a couple of years, and I was offered to be the emissary in Minnesota, and I, and I was there. Excellent. Um, I want you to share with us, where are you now? Are you safe? And what is your everyday life like now? So first of all, yes, we feel safe. We're in the center of Israel, near Tel Aviv. And even though there are sirens a couple times a day that mark the incoming missiles into Israel, um, we're really not that afraid. Some of us are, most of us are not, I think. The reason is because we have this Iron Dome, which is a combined American-Israeli invention that shoots down the missiles. 90% are shot down. And also we have safe rooms and so on. So right now on the road, and when we're at home or at work, we actually, as soon as you hear the siren, we run towards our safe room. Not run, actually walk. We have a, we have a minute and a half until we to get to the safe room or to the shelter. On the road, we just stop on the side of the road, find some place to lie down, and we just lie down. In terms of life in Israel, it's getting back to normal. The first two weeks were roads were empty, people did not go to work, etc. Now the roads are back. There's traffic jams again. People are going back to work. Kids are going back to school. Um, even though they have to go back to school. Of course, not in the very south, not in the very north on the Lebanese border. But kids are going back to school on alternative days because the only schools they can go to are schools that have shelters. Um, mm. I'll tell you on a personal note, my daughter is in the intelligence in the Israeli Defense Forces. My significant other's son is actually fighting in the Gaza as we speak. And are we stressed? Yes, we are. Are we sleeping at night? Not very well. But we also understand that we have no choice. Do you have so any that's, communication that's, with your, uh, your, your, your significant other son who's fighting in Gaza? Can you speak to him? That's a very good question. And the answer is no. Um, we even know that there were some injured from Italian. He's fine because we got a message that, you know, we got a message that the rest are fine. Those that were injured, their parents already know about it. Um, we do not, we cannot speak. Their phones are not with them. The reason is because for security issues, they don't want, you know, anyone hacking their phones, knowing where they are and so on. So the answer is no. And that's why it's so stressful. Wow. I, I can only, only imagine how stressful that is for you. Um, can you give us an update? Is there any news on the hostages? We know the IDF went in and they managed to rescue one uh, soldier who was a hostage. Do we know how that happened? And are any more of those, I, I know you can't give me a lot of information, but are the families of hostages being notified or, or spoken to? Um, it's a really good question. So first of all, let's let's understand the context. There are 242 hostages as we speak. Um, the number keeps going up a little bit by one on every day because they're recognizing more and more hostages that we did not know about. But understand, many of the hostages are not Israelis. There are 54 hostages that are from Thailand. They're agricultural workers. They came to Israel only to work. And there's 54 of them out of the 242 are actually under Hamas custody. 
There's one from China, one from Sri Lanka, two from Tanzania, two from the Philippines. And I think what's most interesting is six, six of them are Russians. They could be Russian, dual citizenship Russian and Israeli. Um, what's fascinating is there's talking about Hamas has said that in the next few days, they're going to release some of the some of the hostages. Um, I'm willing to bet it'll be the Russians because Putin has uh, good relations with the Hamas. He actually backs them. And the, there was a Hamas contingency that went to visit in Moscow. And Putin is becoming extremely, extremely anti-Israel, only because the United States is an ally of Israel, by the way. Or not only, but that's one, the main reason. In terms of uh, in terms of the rest of them, you know, the hostages are being kept. Uh, you know, they, they, the reason they were able to, um, to only um, uh, rescue one hostage is because she was kept on her own. And they got the intelligence information on where she was. They broke in. They got her. Um, they're spread out. And you can be sure that they're all in tunnels. And it's very, very good, difficult to get to. On that point, um, the head of the Israeli Mossad, the Mossad is like, you know, the American CIA. The head of the Israeli Mossad has been in Qatar. Um, so have the Iranians. So has, so has a, 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 a contingents from the Biden administration um, and others. And the reason is because, A, Qatar is the main backer of Hamas. Um, if anyone is able to broker a deal, it will probably be Qatar. But Qatar plays a very, very dirty game, uh, which they play chess with everybody. On the one hand, they're America's ally. On the other hand, they're Muslim Brotherhood, which is what ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Hamas and all the rest of them are. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, right now, um, uh, Hamas is very desperate, at least they say they are, to get gasoline into the Gaza Strip. Do you know why that is? Gasoline they need, basically the Hamas, for ventilation in their tunnels and also for their firepower. In other words, missiles and so on. They have gasoline. Every day they're sending gasoline. is running out to the hospitals. It's humanitarian aid. Give us gasoline. Nonsense. They have it. There was a... There was a, a intercepted Hamas operatives just today that was made public of them talking about how they're taking the gasoline away from the hospitals. Um, hmm. So they're pressuring Israel in that way. And if there's ever a deal brokered, if not ever, but when there is a deal brokered, it could have to do with the fact that Israel may concede. This is just a talk. I don't know. The talk hmm. is that Israel may concede on the gasoline if they're willing to release hostages. We'll see what happens with that, though. Hmm. Um, I want to talk more about that humanitarian aid. I understand when, when you've explained it, thank you, why gasoline is a very dicey thing to be sending into the Gaza Strip. We now know today that hundreds of injured Palestinians as well as dual citizens of other countries uh, have been released through the, the Rafah crossing uh, into Egypt. What other aid is being allowed in? Are we talking food, water, and also will more people be allowed to come out? Okay, that's a great question. And so let me answer that in a couple different ways. First of all, know this. The reason that there are foreign uh, uh, passport holders that are being released from the Gaza is only because Israel has invaded and opened up a corridor. That's it. The last three weeks, the Hamas would not let anybody out. As a matter of fact, they barricaded, they put landmines on the roads and everything to not let anybody out. Israel's opened up a corridor after encircling Gaza, and now is allowing the foreign passport holders and anybody, because Israel keeps encouraging any civilian to go south, south mm -hmm. of Gaza, that is. So that's the reason, one. Two, yes, because of that, there'll be more and more. Those who want to go south, they're allowed to go south, right? Not only are they allowed to, they're, they're, they're encouraged to go south yes. because the fighting is in the north. Now, understand something. There are reports from Israeli soldiers 
for instance, the Givati Brigade, the one that suffered the most casualties in the last couple nights, that at one point, as they were taking over Hamas stronghold, the Hamas sent out 100 women and children running towards them because the Hamas, one, wants dead kids and dead women so that they could show the world how terrible Israel, and two, they know that Israel's not going to shoot them. And it, mm. they, they're hoping that Israel would, but they know Israel's not going to. And so that, by the way, having been a soldier myself, having been in the Gaza myself many times, I will tell you, as reserve soldier, I will tell you that what we usually do is shoot over their heads, they get scared, they run away, and that's the way we solve that. So, yes, that is all happening. Um, humanitarian aid, you wanted to know? So, look, mm-hmm. it's in Israel's interest for water and food, to, and medicine, of course, to go into the Gaza, into the southern Gaza. We first let out, we let in eight, eight trucks, and then it was 10 trucks full of it. Now it's 100 trucks a day. And that is because it's in our interest because of two reasons. One, we are a moral people. I know people have bad mouths us. We're very moral people. Um, you know what? What stands in my mind is there's a picture that's all over the Internet now of an Israeli hospital where there's a young woman being uh, real, rolled into on her bed, being rolled into the operation room after she got two bullets in her back. She was shot twice at the music festival. She went into the second operation. Next to her, a bed rolling the other way, there's a man handcuffed to the bed. It's a Hamas terrorist that's being treated in the Israeli hospital, right? That's who we are. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so food, water, and, and medicine is in, in our interest so that, because we are humane. The second interest of ours, which is totally a self-interest of ours, is if we let that medicine in and the food and the water, which we are, that allows us to keep fighting because the world will say, you know, okay, we understand that you're giving humanitarian aid. We're going to allow you to continue fighting. And when I say the world, to be honest with you, we really don't care what the world says. The world's been against us many a times. Just check out the United Nations combination against Israel. We care about what the United States says, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, and so we need to convince President Biden and his administration that we are aware of the humanitarian aid needed and that we are sending that aid. Ita, thank you for this education. And we have about a, a minute left. I'm sorry. I, I, we will call you again, I promise. Um, what else do we as Americans need to know, maybe that we're not hearing or, or that we're not seeing through social channels? What do we need to know? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, uh, um, look, I think the Israelis uh, are, are just, uh, I, I don't know how to say this, they are in shock, not only about the murder of Hamas, those monsters who murdered and decapitated our babies, but also about the reaction of demonstrations all over the world. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, these are not spontaneous. These are organized mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, um, demonstrations. And what's most fascinating is these demonstrations are not calling only for the eradication of Israel. They're calling for the death of the Jews in plural, right? So mm-hmm. Israelis are shocked by that. We thought we were in a different place. I think Americans are also shocked by that. I think the Brits and the, and the, and the Germans and so on. Having said that, polls in England and France that we look at say that 65% of England, of the, of the British, and 65% of the French actually support Israel. Um, but those demonstrators are out there. And incidentally, in France, they're calling death to Israel, death to France. These are the same people that volunteered for ISIS when ISIS was strong in the Middle East. So for Israelis looking outside of Israel, it is shocking. It's disturbing. We are very strong. And Israelis and Jews in general are very resilient. We haven't survived for thousands of years for nothing. We're very resilient. Mm -hmm. 
And so we know we're going to prevail. And that's the main Israeli consensus now. I will tell you one other thing that you should know, and that is that we've had a lot of division in Israel over our democracy, to be honest with you. You probably know this in the last months. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're a liberal or you're a conservative or you're religious or you're secular, um, it doesn't matter. Israelis have come together. They're fighting shoulder to shoulder together. And that divisiveness is over, literally Mm -hmm. over. And that's the new, that's the other thing you should know about what's going on in Israeli society. Itai Tannenbaum, historian, has a podcast. Please follow his podcast. It's called Inside Israel. He is also the uh, owner and um, proprietor of a tour company. We hope to take one of your tours when things come down. Itai, we will call you again, but thank you so much for joining us and explaining everything this morning. My pleasure, and I wish this world peace. Oh, me too, sweetheart. And stay safe, please. We're praying for all of you. Thank you, Itai. Ooh, yes, we will take a minute and, um, yeah, let's download on that next. All right, now it's 9.56. That's Alinda's construction time check. Time to get free installation labor on Infinity from Marvin Windows. I'll be sharing Itai's uh, information and, and the podcast and the conversation we just had on my on my um, social media, at Jordana Verde, on um, Instagram and on threads, if anybody's on that uh, important conversation. And we're going to keep having it more and more. And my takeaway also is he's right about how shocked. I'm shocked. I am a, a Jewish American. I am a Zionist. I am outspoken about supporting Jews' right to live and have a, a homeland. And uh, that's what Zionism means, by the way, that you support a Jewish homeland in the state of Israel. And um, I am shocked at the anti-Semitism and the hate and the vitriol and how people are so uneducated about the situation in the Middle East. It has been shocking and hurtful. And maybe I'm naive, but I thought we were in a better place. We are going to change up the energy when we get back. Thank goodness Charlie is going to make us smile. Uh, what do you got coming up in Quick Takes, my friend? Yeah, I got a uh, question about policing. I've got uh, there's more George Santos stories out, so you know we got to hit on George Santos <laughs> at least for a second. Jordana, you got to be prepared for a sports question. Yes, I couldn't keep it away. There is a sports question for you. And then a question about kind of namings in the United States, names, and Ooh. if we should allow everything. All right, Jordana's AI sports response to his question next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.